Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Jenny, Billy, if you're watching this tape, I guess I'm dead. I'm sorry. Billy, you're my best friend in the world. And I, I want you to have my very favorite thing, the Minnesota Twins. Man, when my grandpa died, all I got was a sweat. First of all, I'd just like to say this is really cool. You mean you own the team and the stadium? Can I borrow five bucks? I'd like to announce that I've named myself the new manager of the Minnesota Twins. Go away. Billy, it's not that easy. There's a lot to this game, a lot. Know how hard it is to manage. It's the American League. They got the DH. How hard could it be? I gotta go over all this paperwork. Wow, you sound like my dad. Can I, like, have your autograph? Wow, Shelly Horgaval. What a babe. Mom, come on. The guys are watching. Nobody's watching. I'm not gonna win anything with a kid for a manager. Now, why don't you go home and build yourself a fort or something? I know you guys think I'm a joke. Put me in there. I can throw strikes. Maybe I'm not the problem. The problem is, you guys forgot how much fun this is. You're major leaguers. Don't you understand? You guys get to play baseball every day. What could be better? Castle Rock Entertainment is proud to present Little Big League. Baseball was made for kids. Just go out and play and have fun. I hate fun. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Little Big League from 1994. The studio was Columbia Pictures. The release date was June 29, 1994, with a running time of 119 minutes. The rating PG and the budget was $20 million, and the box office, well, it was a bit of a bomb. It only took back in $12.2 million, making it the 99th ranked film of 1994. However, Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. Baseball was made for kids. Grown-ups only screw it up. Which was a quote from Bob Lemon in Little Big League. Little Big League is a movie about a 12-year-old kid who inherits the Minnesota Twins and decides to manage them himself. The last thing I was expecting was that the movie would take baseball seriously, but it does. It's one of those rare baseball movies that has a real feel for the game instead of using it as a backdrop for bizarre characters. We're in a world of pure fantasy here, but somehow Little Big League works in alchemy that almost makes us believe this kid could actually manage a team. Luke Edwards plays Billy as a solemn, smart, thoughtful kid who seems grown up for his years. His strategy in dealing with the players is to speak in simple, honest terms. He has one especially effective speech about how they should be grateful for the privilege of getting to play baseball, to step up to the plate where the babe swung his bat, or stand in the same batter's box once occupied by Joe DiMaggio. The movie is canny in the way that it shows how Major League professionals react to this information. The director, Andrew Scheinman, is aware that his material is a minefield of hazards, and that a mistake in tone could take a serious moment and make it ludicrous. He doesn't step wrong. His strategy is to have the adult ballplayers act more or less the way real adults might behave in such an impossible situation. More than once, watching Little Big League, I found myself monitoring my feelings. Is this movie really working? 
It was, unlike Major League Two, which used baseball only as an excuse for sitcom situations and recycled characters. Little Big League has the same mystical regard for the game as movies like Field of Dreams and Bull Durham. And even when Billy is dreaming up some cockamamie stunt or trick play that he had learned in an old record book, we find ourselves saying, hey, if it worked once, maybe it'll work again. Like Free Willy, The Secret Garden, Searching for Bobby Fischer, and The Man in the Moon, this is a quote-unquote family movie that doesn't condescend. It takes a 12-year-old hero as seriously as he takes baseball, and nothing is dumbed down for the PG audience. One of the qualities of the film is that it doesn't feel predictable. And that's the end of Roger Ebert's review. The early 1990s were really the peak era of kid-friendly baseball films. Just a year prior to Little Big League, you had The Sandlot and Rookie of the Year. And then a few weeks after Little Big League came out, Disney then released a remake of Angels in the Outfield. And all of those movies made money, except for Little Big League, which for me is a shame, because baseball-wise, Little Big League is the best baseball movie, gameplay-wise, of all those listed. And maybe for kids, it's less about how good the ballplayers look, but maybe more about the plot around the gameplay, and we'll get into that. Let's get into the main cast. We have Luke Edwards, who plays Billy Haywood. Unlike other films, Edwards was essentially the same age as his character in the film, 13. His career began on TV movies and shows in 1988, and his first film was The Wizard with Fred Savage in 1991. Edwards actually continues to act and produce today for TV and film. Timothy Busfield plays Lou Collins. His career began in the early 1980s on different TV shows, but really his breakout role came in the surprise hit of 1984, Revenge of the Nerds, playing Poindexter. He then landed a critically acclaimed TV role on the show 30-something, which ran for four seasons. And film-wise, he played Kevin Costner's brother-in-law in Field of Dreams prior to Little Big League. There are more great character actors in this film, including John Ashton. We covered his career in the Beverly Hills Cop episode where he played Taggart. He also played Eric Stoltz's father in Some Kind of Wonderful. The film has Jason Robards. He has countless of great films, which you should look up. Jonathan Silverman, who was in Weekend at Bernie's, and Dennis Farina. The director, Andrew Scheinman. This was the one and only film Scheinman directed, as the majority of his career was producing films, not directing. Some of his notable films as a producer include The Sure Thing, which had John Cusack, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, and A Few Good Men. He was also the executive producer of 57 episodes of Seinfeld from 1991 to 93. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So the director, Andrew Scheinman, saw a pile of pictures of young actors up for the part of Billy. He saw Luke Edwards' headshot and said that's what he wanted the character to look like. And Edwards just happened to be the next person to audition for Scheinman. Interestingly enough, Edwards knew very little about baseball, unlike his character, which knew everything about the game and its history. But for me, that's what shows a, what a good actor Edwards was at the young age, and he totally sells the Billy character. However, my guest who we talk about wasn't a fan, so we'll get into that, and I think that's good. We get a different opinion there. Now, the real love of the game came from director Andrew Scheinman and his brother, screenwriter Adam Scheinman. And all of the great dialogue and history that was infused was really well done and, and just a treat for real baseball fans. And Andrew would coach Edwards basically the basics of the game to get that part right. Luke Edwards was so thrilled to meet all of the professional ballplayers in the film, but Ken Griffey Jr. was, of course, the tops because he was one of the biggest stars in baseball at the time, and he still is very well known. Edwards said that Griffey couldn't have been a nicer person and was a lot of fun to be around. 
Uh, Griffey even pulled out the old shaving cream pie to the face when Edwards was giving an interview to the local press. He was just one of the guys. On the opposite spectrum, as you would expect, Randy Johnson was exactly the opposite of Griffey. Johnson was very quiet and intense and intimidating as hell, according to Edwards and Timothy Busfield. For the actors that were not ballplayers, the auditions were essentially baseball tryouts, meaning the actors had to prove they were athletic enough to play the game before they even set a line of dialogue. And that dedication to get the right actors to play the main twins team really shows in the the on-the-field playing. Because you watch other sports movies and you can tell the producers went actor first and athlete far second. Major League Baseball shortstop Kevin Elster was coming off a shoulder injury and he'd been playing winter ball, but he didn't make a Major League roster in spring training. He then used the time off to be part of Little Big League. And then in the middle of the 1994 baseball season, he signed with the New York Yankees. But then a player strike happened in August. Elster continued to play in the majors until the year 2000. At the time, Timothy Busfield was up for a main role in A Few Good Men as he played the lead on Broadway. But of course, the film role ultimately went to Tom Cruise. Castle Rock Entertainment decided that Busfield seemed right for Little Big League. The character of Lou Collins is said to have been loosely based on Kent Herbeck, who was a very popular first baseman for the Minnesota Twins during their heyday in the late 80s and early 90s. And the Twins won two World Series championships in 1987 and 91. Herbeck would serve as a consultant on the film, and he and Busfield became friends. Busfield said he was also cast to play the character of Jerry, but after actor Brad Johnson dropped out, Busfield was cast as Lou. In addition to Herbeck, Busfield trained with Kirby Puckett, Dave Winfield, and Chip Hale to hone his skills for the film. Twins manager Tom Kelly at the time also gave tips to Busfield, but treated him like a ball player, not an actor, and it definitely shows when you watch how he moves on the field. Busfield said he also had to learn how to hit left-handed, which is pretty amazing because I couldn't tell watching the film that it wasn't his dominant side. There was a really funny story that Busfield told about facing Randy Johnson. Johnson called the director to the side and says it's not very believable that a left-handed hitter like Busfield's character would even be in the lineup against Randy Johnson because all of the top lefties at the time were given days off when it was Randy Johnson's time to pitch. You know, even Don Mattingly and Wade Boggs would sometimes take days off. Busfield always got a laugh out of that and said it was the most terrifying experience facing Randy Johnson in the batter's box. Just ask John Crook. Do a lookup of John Crook and Randy Johnson. You'll see what I mean. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins on a Little League field as Billy Haywood, played by Luke Edwards, and his team are playing a game. It's the last inning, and Billy's on deck with a chance to win the game for his team. Billy's best friends are Chuck and Joe, and they're also on the team. Now, Billy is a whiz kid when it comes to baseball history and strategy. However, his baseball skills do not match his knowledge of the game. So before Billy comes to bat, there's mass confusion on the play before, as the lead runner gets in a rundown after a fly ball is hit into the outfield. To clarify, before the ball was hit to the outfield, there were two runners on base. The outcome was that all the runners ended up on third base, and the umpire had no idea what call to make. So everyone defers to Billy to figure out the rules since he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of the game. So the call is that the lead runner gets the base and the two trailing runners are called out. Billy then gives a reference to a game in 1926 with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Billy comes up to bat and grounds out to the second baseman, and the team loses by a run. His friends hilariously told him to get hit by the pitch before grounding out. 
However, it's great to be a kid and the three 12-year-old boys quickly forget about the loss when it's Billy's mom and grandfather take the boys out for ice cream. Now, Billy's grandfather, Thomas, played by Jason Robards, is the owner of the Minnesota Twins, and Billy's love and knowledge of the game comes from him. You know, it's so weird. Your grandfather's like the richest man in the world, and nobody here even knows. They all just think he's a normal person. Yes. You think he's richer than Mr. Howell? Who? Dustin Howell, the third. You know, the guy from Gilligan's Island? I don't know, maybe. What do you mean, maybe? He's gotta be. Billy, your grandfather owns the Minnesota Twins. There's no way Mr. Howell has that much money. Why not? He could. Think about it. If Mr. Howell was all that rich, what was he doing taking a cruise on the SS Minnow? You gotta love how kids have zero filters. Of course, Billy's grandfather is a kid at heart as well. And that night, Billy watches the Twins game from the owner's suite at the Metrodome, which is no longer there. The Twins' best player is first baseman Lou Collins, played by Timothy Busfield. After getting a hit, we see him standing on first base with a real major leaguer named Wally Joyner, who was playing for the Kansas City Royals at this point in his career. He actually came up with the, at the time, the California Angels. One of the problems with the Twins isn't necessarily the talent on the team, but the brash manager, George O'Farrell, played by Dennis Farina. After another loss, we hear him chewing out his pitching coach, Mac McNally, played by John Ashton. You got it all wrong, Mac. I don't have to answer to you. I'm the manager of this ball club. You don't like the way I treat the pitchers? Feel free to take a walk. Fine. 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 Joe, call my wife, will you? Tell her I'm going to be late. Going for a walk. A long walk! Yeah, well, go ahead. Who cares? Hey, Matt, there are plenty of pitching coaches around this league. Plenty of them. And guess what? Some of them actually fit in their uniform, you fat slob! <laughs> oh, you think that's funny, Scales? Well, let me tell you what I think is funny. The thing that you call a swing. Now, you better start hitting, kid, or you're going right back down to AAA. You got that? And that goes for the rest of you clowns that call yourself a goddamn baseball team. You're going to kill me, Hamilton. You're going to kill me. What do you think? I got to give it a six. That door slam was kind of weak. <laughs> <laughs> Billy is allowed to visit the locker room with his grandfather, and he knows the players and has a rapport with them like they are his buddies. Lou is especially kind to Billy, partly because he knows Billy's a good kid, but also because Lou is interested in Billy's mom, Jenny, played by Ashley Crow, as she is a widow. 
Her late husband was the son of Thomas, who was the owner. One of Thomas's delights is to quiz Billy on baseball history. One of the questions he gives Billy while walking home from the stadium is in 1951, who was on deck for the New York Giants when Bobby Thompson hit the famous shot heard around the world home run off of Ralph Branca from the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now, I have always known this because I'm a lifelong Giants fan, and the answer is a rookie outfielder named Willie Mays. Billy then gives his grandfather a trick question and asks, who was the first black player to play in the major leagues? Now, the common answer, of course, is Jackie Robinson, but it's actually Moses Fleet Walker who played catcher for the Toledo Blue Stockings in 1884. And if you're interested more about Walker, there are many different articles about his very interesting and ultimately tragic life. Billy and Thomas have a wonderful relationship, and in many ways, Thomas is Billy's main father figure after the death of his real father. After walking Billy home, Thomas pleads with his daughter-in-law to let Billy go to the game in a week because Roger Clemens will be pitching against the Twins. Now, at the time, Clemens was one of the top pitchers in the game for the Boston Red Sox. And actually, in my opinion, Clemens should be in the Hall of Fame, but the steroid scandal of the 2000s will likely prevent that from ever happening, along with Barry Bonds. Thomas talks Jenny into letting Billy see Clemens pitch, but only if Billy finishes his science project before the game. Thomas told Jenny a story of not being able to see Walter Johnson pitch when he was a kid when he had a chance, and Walter Johnson was like the Roger Clemens of his era. Now, personally, thank you. I got to see some of the greatest pitchers growing up when I, you know, like uh, Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Pedro Martinez, and Clayton Kershaw. Billy decides to reuse his science project from a year prior, and that solves the issue. And by the way, as a side note, when I was in sixth grade for my science project, I theorized how home runs went way up in 1987 due to the ball being quote-unquote juiced. Now, I did this by calculating the number of home runs from the beginning of modern baseball all the way up to 1990. And it wasn't like a live volcano by any means, but the teacher appreciated the effort and the use of line graphs. Now, when I say juiced, if you're not a baseball fan, basically the the ball has been uh, doctored a bit in the sense of that the seams are a bit tighter, meaning that the ball could potentially go farther once it was hit. And if you look at 1987, the home run totals are vastly different than any other season up to that point, and actually thereafter until the steroid era. Anyway, back to the movie, Billy races home on his bike from school to get ready to go to the game and see Roger Clemens pitch, but sadly, he never makes it to the game. He instead finds his mom sitting alone in the front room, staring out the window, and she's crying, and we find out that Thomas passed away that day. After the funeral, Billy and his mother and the GM of the Twins uh, hear the reading of Thomas's will. Thomas decided to leave a video message. In the video, he first taped over a basketball game, which lightens the mood. Thomas says that Billy was his best friend in the world, and he wants Billy to have his favorite thing, which of course is the Minnesota Twins. Billy is now the owner of the ball club. Thomas believes that Billy is the perfect person to own the team because he has a true love of the team and the game. Billy's best friends are hilarious in the way that kids can only be. After confirming that Billy is now the owner of the Twins, Joey asks to borrow five bucks. <laughs> also, one of the popular girls at school asks for Billy's autograph. After school, the three boys do exactly what I would have done if I was the owner of the team, play catch on the field of the stadium. There's a hilarious scene where Billy is at school and gets called into the principal's office, not for being in trouble, but the general manager of the Twins, played by Kevin Dunn, needs to talk to Billy because Ricky Henderson is available. The principal is very interested, and Billy tells him, well, it's confidential. (laughs) 
Billy, of course, would love to have Ricky Henderson on his team, but O'Farrell, the manager, hates Ricky and doesn't want to manage him. Finally, Billy's had enough of O'Farrell's yelling and poor attitude and fires him. But now Billy has to figure out who's going to replace O'Farrell as manager. So who are you going to get to replace O'Farrell? I don't know. Whitey Herzog turned us down. Same with Valentine. None of the good guys want to work for a kid. You should do it. Yeah, right. Get real. No, you get real. You'd be great. Know how hard it is to manage? It's the American League. They got the DH. How hard could it be? Yeah, think of it. You could lead the Twins to the pennant. Manager of the year. Billy, serious, man. The Twins need you. Me. Pardon? Me. My choice is me. Billy, you'd be the laughing stock of baseball. Not if we win. Come on, son, be serious. I am serious. You'd help me, wouldn't you, Mac? Well, Billy, it's not that easy. There's a lot to this game, a lot. It's all situations, situations and tendencies. And the more you've seen, the more you know what to do. Okay, try me. What? Make up a situation, try me. We're playing the Yankees. No one out. Scales is on first. Great speed. Lose up. Two and one count. Abbott's on the mound. Lefty. Lonnie's on deck. And remember, he's a switch hitter. What do you do? What's the score? Tie game. What inning? Home or away? Eighth. Home. Who's catching? Who's rested in the bullpen? Who's up in the ninth for the Yanks? Stanley. Everyone. Seven, eight, nine. Okay. I'll let Lou hit away. With Mattingly holding scales, he's got that big hole to hit to. No, see, that's what I'm talking about. You got lefty against lefty. Lou's a good bunner. You only need one run, so you sacrifice to go ahead and run to second with only one out. No. You sacrifice him to second, they walk Lonnie and bring in Steve Farr to pitch to Spencer. So you've taken the bat out of our two best hitters, our three and four men, and we've got Spencer, a righty with no speed, against Farr in his palm ball. Which means... Double play. You can pitch hit for Spencer. Now you've taken the bat out of our three, four, and five hitters. Not exactly a great trip to the heart of our order. Any questions, Mac? Yeah. What's he need me for? Now that's a great scene. I also love the line from Chuck. Well, it's the American League. They got the DH. How hard could it be? <laughs> so the the commissioner of baseball approves because it's a great publicity coup for Major League Baseball. Plus, Billy uses the old, well, if it's okay with the commissioner, it's okay with my mom to be the manager of the Twins. <laughs> The press, of course, loves the announcement of having a kid as a manager of a major league team. However, the players, with the exception of a few like Lou and uh, pitcher Bowers, played by Jonathan Silverman, are not very enthusiastic, and they think they're going to be the laughingstock of the league. And one player in particular is more worried about his upcoming free agency value rather than the team actually winning. 
Billy decides to be upfront with the players. He tells them to give him a chance. If they do and they don't start winning, well, Billy will fire himself. They have nothing to lose. Billy tells him he's dedicating the season to his grandfather. So if they don't win for him, win for his grandfather. By the way, the Minnesota Twins team includes two real ball players, one active at the time, which again was Kevin Elster who played shortstop. The other was a retired first baseman and outfielder named Leon Durham, who played for the Chicago Cubs back in the 80s. Now, the first game for Billy as manager starts off pretty embarrassing for him as he's seen on the big screen with his mother wiping off his cheek. Is electrifying a big sellout crowd to see what the boy wonder can do. Okay, that's it. Let's go. Come on. Game's about to start. Mr. Haywood is a busy man. Let's go. Good luck, honey. Thanks, Mom. Is this the lineup card? Wow, who's this? Look, Billy, I don't want to add any extra pressure, but Shelly Hogeboom is sitting at section 121. Really? Man, I can't believe he didn't start winning. He kills the tires. Look, guys, I gotta go. Hey, 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 wait a minute. You got something on your face. Mom, come on. The guys are watching. Nobody's watching. Billy gets off to a rocky start as one of the players named Hodges decides to ignore a sign given by Billy for a hit and run. Hodges takes the pitch and the Detroit Tigers catcher, Mickey Tendleton, throws out the runner. Billy knows that Hodges intentionally ignored the sign despite him. The Twins end up losing the game and in the post-game interviews, Billy takes the high road and is more mature than his own players. Instead of calling out Hodges, who intentionally missed the hit and run, Billy said he called for a straight steal. Hodges, who hears all of this, says nothing, but you can tell by his facial expression that he regrets what he did. The next game, Billy hilariously attempts to take out the high-strung pitcher named Blackout, who looks as mean as he acts. Blackout was played by Brad Leslie, who played with the Cincinnati Reds for three seasons from 82 to 84. He then played one season with the Milwaukee Brewers before playing a few seasons in Japan. Max says that he'll do the deed and put in a reliever, but Billy's the manager and decides it can't be that bad. Now, Blackout tries to intimidate Billy, but Billy stands pat, and with the help of Lou and Hodges, Blackout gives up the ball. Billy's not happy about it. And this is the beginning of the players starting to respect Billy. Another tough loss for Minnesota. They're fourth in their last five games. And Billy Haywood remains winless in his young career. An interesting side note, that's the 14th one-run game for the Tigers already this year. Tops for any team north of the Mason-Dixon line whose home games are not played in a dome. You gotta love useless baseball statistics. The next game, Billy decides to change things up for a bit. He's now coaching third base in addition to his managerial duties, something that Tommy Lasorda would also do from time to time as well. And he comes up with this fun play. Here's the 3-0 pitch. Ball four, way outside. Look at Corning hustle down to first base. Wait a minute. He's rounding first. He's trying for second. Cates checks scales to throw down. And here comes scales. If you couldn't tell by the play-by-play announcer, there was a fast runner on third base for the Twins. After a walk, the batter, instead of casually jogging to first, decided to run full speed out of the box and then headed to second base. 
Now, unsure what to do, the catcher held the runner at third and then threw to second. Once the catcher threw the ball to second, then the runner at third base raced home and stole home plate. Now, you might think this is a Little League type of play, but this was a type of play that was used in the early years of baseball, like with Ty Cobb. And frankly, more action instead of today's strikeout or home run would be greatly welcomed. And just like that, the guys start having fun and playing better, which of course leads to a movie montage of big hits and great catches. And by the way, the baseball play again is just top-notch in this film. It's obvious that in addition to the real big league players, uh, minor leaguers were used for the live action as well. And this montage translated into a six-game winning streak for the Twins. Off the field, Lou and Billy's mom begin to date. Billy has no issues with it for now because Lou's a great guy, but more on that later. Next up for Billy is his first road trip with the team, and as he discovers, the players often act like little leaguers during their hotel stays. Fight. How could that miss? Now, William, I cannot stress this enough. You've got to allow for the win factor. It's vital. You understand? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're grieving. One o'clock. Thank you. Come on, baby. Oh, that's too easy. His head's so big, it's not even fair. <laughs> Need one. Sweet. Give it three feet to the left. Bums way. <laughs> Bowers! I know it's you, buddy. I know it's you. Evening, boys. Hey. I was just watching. After the water balloon fun, Billy discovers the adult movies on the hotel television. This means that Billy gets zero sleep, which means he falls asleep in the dugout at Fenway Park. Come in. Nurse Lewis, Nurse Richards, what can I do for you? That's just it, Doctor. You're always doing something for everybody else. I thought it was time someone did something nice for you. Girls, girls, please, I'm on call. That's perfect, because I need a specialist for what I've got. Careful, please. That was a gift from my third wife. Oh. <laughs> Chuck, listen. Have you ever given an exam in your office before? Night nurses from Jersey. Yeah. They're off the turnpike and on duty for love. It's on all night. You just hit a button, they send it right to your room. The great thing is, nobody knows. Hold on, I, I gotta go. They just got a new patient. Now, what are we gonna do about this blood pressure of yours? And the Red Sox refuse to quit. Man on first and third and only one out. How sad. Another tragic victim of the night nurses from Jersey. I thought you might want to get up for this. The go-ahead runs on first. What? Sorry. Ground ball to Scales. Flips to Corning. Back to Collins. Yeah. Double play. Way to go, guys. 
Now, how's it go again? Cowboy rides into town on Friday. He stays three days, and he leaves on Friday. How did he do it? All right, one more time. Okay, there's a cowboy. Right. He rides into town on Friday. <laughs> They're off the turnpike and on duty for love. <laughs> Next stop is New York and Yankee Stadium. The only player that hasn't bought into Billy's managerial style is starting pitcher Mike McGreevy. He almost gives up a home run to Paul O'Neill, but the right fielder of the Twins makes a great catch to Rob O'Neill. It looks like McGreevy is intentionally playing poorly to get off the team and to be traded, but Billy calls McGreevy's bluff and tells him that they're not going to trade him, and if he wants to pitch like crap, that's on him, because the market for a pitcher with a terrible ERA is not going to be very lucrative. So McGreevy begrudgingly gets the message and amazingly starts to pitch better. And this is where the film gets a bit tropey, but not enough to ruin it for me. Now that the team is starting to have success and Billy isn't considered a joke, the pressure to continue being successful is starting to cause Billy to grow up faster than anyone wanted. Want to see me? Yeah, come on in. What's up? devastated about having to cut Jerry, who was his childhood idol, but it's all part of being a manager. But Mac tries to cheer up Billy. Hey, Billy, guess who I'm having lunch with today? Who? Reggie Jackson. You know Reggie Jackson? Are you kidding? I was his favorite pitcher. He said he'd rather hit against me than anybody he ever faced. Anyway, um, he wants to meet you. He wants to meet me? Yep. He's a big fan of yours. Wow. So, what do you say? You want to go? Yeah, great. Let's go. All right. Thought we'd go down to Hoolahan's. They got a chili burger down there the size of your head. Billy totally forgot that he had planned to go to the water slides with his buddies. But look, I would have forgotten that as well if I had a chance to meet Reggie Jackson. And to make matters worse, his mom got the hotel bill that had Billy watching Night Nurses from Jersey 11 times. <laughs> The pressure is starting to get to Billy, and he decides to take it out on the umpires the next game. Twins trail the Rangers 3-2 here in the seventh. 
Mickey Scale steps in. 0 for 3 today. He struck out twice. There's a bunt down third. Palmer charges. Scales digging for first. Barehanded pickup. The throw to first is wide. Palmero with a sweep tag and Scales is... Out at first. What? Come on, Blue, you didn't touch me. Blue, you didn't touch me. That's brutal. My mom can make that call, Blue. Come on. Take it in, you missed the tag! You missed the tag! Well, what are you, Bob Euchre? Oh, come on! That was a lousy call! You're out of position! I saw what I saw, so go sit down. No, I'm not gonna go sit down, because you're a big dork! Oh, yeah? Well, you're a little squirt with a big mouth, so why don't you get out of my face before I get mad? Go ahead! Get mad! Come on! Pop a vein, you ugly big... <laughs> to do what's best for Bill Haywood. So, for now, to avoid a more severe penalty, I will submit to my mother's suspension. But I don't agree with it. A Bill Haywood must be allowed to speak his mind to an umpire. Otherwise, he cannot fully do his job. I love that he's talking in third person just like Ricky Anderson used to do. So Billy's friends are annoyed with them, and Billy is also a bit jealous that part of his mom's attention is now being given to Lou. So, what will happen? What will be the impetus for Billy getting back to what made him a successful manager to start with? Well, it's up to you to find out in the final 45 minutes. The ending is not as predictable as you might imagine. Now, for the era of uh, kid baseball films, Little Big League isn't as good as, say, The Sandlot. I think that's the gold standard. But it's not as campy as something like Rookie of the Year. And I think the film is really underrated and deserves a viewing if you haven't seen it. And... Having so many top big leaguers at the time appear in the film really adds credibility to the film. In addition to the guys I mentioned earlier, you also get to see Ivan Rodriguez, Rafael Palmero, Tim Raines, Sandy Alomar Jr., Carlos Baerga, Alex Fernandez, Eric Anthony, Dave Magadan, Lenny Webster, Dean Palmer, and manager Lou Pinella. While I won't give away the ending, I have to play this fun locker room scene where the guys try to help Billy with his math homework. Still doing your homework? Yeah. You know, we got a relatively big game today, kid. Yeah, well, I got a relatively big math tutor. Can't have this hanging over my head. Hmm. Math, huh? You know, I've always heard that it helps to write it down. You've worked all season long, and now it comes down to this. You wonder what goes through the minds of the players and the coaches in pressure situations like these. If Joe can paint a house in three hours and Sam can paint the same house in five hours, how long does it take for them to do it together? Wait a minute. You never said this was a word problem. Scales, get over here. What's up, man? If I can paint a house in three hours, 
and you can paint it in five. How long will it take us to paint it together? Lonnie! It takes me three hours to paint a house, it takes you five. How long to do it together? What color paint? It's times like this where the veterans really have to step up and lead the way for the young guys. The guys who haven't been here before. It's simple. Five times three. So that's 15. No, no, no. Look, it takes eight hours. Five plus three. That's eight. Oh, man, that's not right. Check it out. There's one, two of them, so it only takes four hours. I should know this. My uncle's a painter. Why don't they just get a house that's already painted? You know, maybe there is no answer. Maybe it's one of those trick questions. You ever think of that? I don't know. I mean... Eight sounds good to me. Oh, but what, this, there's two of them. Come on, there's two of them. Fallis, 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 Fallis. The chalk, if you please. A thank you. Using the simple formula A times B over A plus B, we arrive at our answer of one and seven eighths. Wow, are you sure? Oh, oh, oh but of course, my diminutive leader. Long have I been familiar with the exactitudes of the mathematical world. And Mac, the horse's name is Friday. Well, um, great. Now that the pressure's off, let's go win a ball game. Also, make sure you watch the after credits for a funny little scene related to the last clip. All right, some fun facts. So Ashley Crow plays Jenny. That's Billy's mom. Her son is named Pete Crow Armstrong. He's a professional baseball player, and he was drafted by the New York Mets as an outfielder in 2020. He's now on the Chicago Cubs because he was part of the Javier Baez trade in 2021, which sent Baez to the Mets. How cool is that? Now, as I mentioned, Little Big League did not do very well at the box office, partly due to the influx of other kid baseball films only a year prior, like the San Juan Rookie of the Year, along with the fact that the player's strike of 1994 happened not long after the release of Little Big League. So it's possible the burnout factor and being viewed as an inferior version of the other two films really harmed Little Big League. Also, which probably didn't help Little Big League, there was another very popular kid movie out at the time called The Lion King. So, like a lot of cult classics, this film got renewed life from home video and cable. Timothy Busfield was just in awe of Ken Griffey Jr. So Griffey was asked if he could hit a home run in a specific section of the stadium as the cameras were positioned there. And first pitch, Griffey hits a home run. Unfortunately, it was slightly off in a different section. So the director, apologetic, explains the cameras missed it and if he could do it again. And Griffey says, no problem. So Busfield noticed that Griffey broke his bat on the home run swing prior. And Busfield asked if they could hold up so Griffey could get another bat. But Griffey said it was fine and proceeded to hit another perfectly placed home run with the broken bat. He had the ability to hit the ball wherever he wanted. It was, it was amazing, he said. So Ricky Anderson is mentioned in the film, but never shown. The King Griffey Jr. role was originally meant for Ricky Henderson. John Gordon, who was the announcer for the twins in the film, 
but went by the fictional name of Wally Holland. In reality, he was the Real Twins announcer, radio announcer, from 1987 to 2011. John Miller, who is currently the San Francisco Giants announcer and broadcasted for ESPN for many years, he actually auditioned for the role, but it ultimately went to John Gordon. The character of Thomas Haywood was depicted as being very similar to Carl Pollad, the real-life owner of the Minnesota Twins at the time of the film. This includes both holding large financial fortune, and he also owned the Twins from 1984 until his death in 2009, after which the family heirs took inheritance of the team. Now, the main team in the original script were actually the Kansas City Royals before they ultimately were rewritten for the Minnesota Twins because it was much easier to shoot the scenes in the Metrodome, which is an indoor stadium, and you wouldn't have to deal with the elements like you would at the Kansas City Royals outdoor stadium. All right, as I mentioned, we do have a special guest. It's Chris Sinzak from the Decibel Geek podcast. And so he's a big baseball fan. We have a great discussion, not only about the film, but also a little baseball trivia of the early 90s, which was a lot of fun to do. So even though you can't get baseball right now, because, well, it is football season, but you can download this at any time, and hopefully the players won't go on strike, much like 1994. It's kind of ironic we're doing the movie now, uh, around the same time that the last time there was a work stoppage was back in 1994. But in any case, you're always going to have these films, and you're going to always be able to download them. And I'll be back next week with yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Chris Sinzak from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And, of course, he is the founder and still owner of the Rock and Pod Convention, which started back in 2017. I, I went to Rock and Pod 2 and 3 and had an absolute blast and finally got to meet Chris in person. Of course, Chris has been on the podcast multiple times, so it's great to have him back, and it's great to talk about Little Big League. So welcome back, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me back, Brian. It's great to be back. No problem. So, uh, you know, the early 90s, there was so many there was like an influx of baseball movies. You, know, you had the Sandlot, Rookie of the Year and Angels in the Outfield as a remake. Um, so did, was it overload for you? And did you see Little Big League in the theater or was that something that was more like a video rental? Well, you know, it was an interesting time in my life because it was, you know, me. it was kind of from my end of high school days into my college days. And mm -hmm. Around the time I started, sports like baseball in particular was kind of my life up and through junior high. And like I played ball and everything. I took it very seriously, collected baseball cards, all of it. And then once I picked up the guitar and started playing in bands, it kind of took a back seat. So mm. it was so around this time, it, it, like literally, and I, you know, I'm sure we'll get to the comparisons between this movie and Rookie of the Year. Sure. Um, but Rookie of the Year was kind of the tail end of my time really paying attention to a lot of baseball movies, which I kind of liked it. But, you know, I was by this point, I was like 17. So I was I think I was a little older than the target audience for this. Mm -hmm. um, I do remember when this movie came out and I watched it again today. I rented it today just for this. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> oh, no problem. Because I was like, I think I've seen this. But it's if when I saw it, it had to have been relatively close to when it came out, maybe on cable like a year or two after. But yeah, it was uh so yeah, I was but as far as baseball movies in general, no nah, man. I mean, the more the merrier. Like, you know, I would loved A League of Their Own, I loved Eight Men Out, I loved Field of Dreams. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know about this one. It's really it's got some really <laughs> crappy acting in it, but it's still a fun baseball movie. Do you ever heard of a, a movie called Talent for the Game? Who's in it? Uh Edward James Olmos is the star of it. <sighs> It sounds familiar, but it's if I've seen it, I've seen it once, and maybe it was on TV. But yeah, it's yeah. Uh, he plays a he plays a former catcher, and he's a baseball scout for the Angels. Okay, and uh, but yeah, I'll, 
that's a for discussion for another day. If you end up watching <laughs> it and liking it, let me know because I'll come back on it. Because I, even though it's not, it's one of those one of those movies that's bad, but I I love it. So I'll, I'll talk about that one all day. But it was interesting to go back and and watch this one. But no, I I was it, sports movies are I love sports movies and mm-hmm. you know the more the merrier. Well, it's funny you mentioned that we'll kind of go on a little bit of a tangent. Did you ever see the movie? It's just called The Scout with Albert Brooks and Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, uh, for me, the first half's the best, and then it kind of it tails for me. But I love the beginning when they when he tries. Yeah, to find the it turns into like a psychological drama. Yes. Like halfway through, and it's like, oh wow, this took a dark turn all of a sudden. Yes. But it's, but it it's kinda, yeah, Brendan Fraser is great in that movie. He is, and it remind me of that that old uh, Sports Illustrated story about Sid Finch, you know, the guy that threw 120 miles an hour, and it was all yep. made up by George Plimpton. But that's, I mean, Brendan Fraser was that guy in like you know the Mexican League. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably where they based the character from. It. Sure, sure. Well, Little Big League of you know all of those kind of similar movies did the worst out of all of them, and uh, I I think my only theory behind this, and it's not an original theory is that ironically uh, it was uh, the last work stoppage. It was a strike in the middle of the baseball season in 1994. And as we're talking now, it's December of 2021 and there's a lockout. Um, I wonder if that kind of harmed the film in some way, because maybe two or three weeks after this film came out, there was a baseball strike and maybe people said, ah, I don't want to see a baseball movie. They screwed me. Well, that I think could have been, you know, market saturation in general, Mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, the I, the joke I had chambered for today was uh, when I was watching it, I was like, Little Big League is what you get when you order Rookie of the Year on Wish. Because <laughs> there's so many similarities to that movie. There are. Um, it's, it, it, it's almost like, God, did they try to rip off Rookie of the Year with this movie? I don't know, because they probably were made close to the same time frame. But, yeah. um, but actually, and I found a, a thing on, uh, I think it's foxsports.com. It's an... <clears throat> it's a oral history with a lot of the actors and baseball players um, that an article that came out like a year ago and it's very in depth and uh, you should read that if you haven't checked it out yet. Okay. Okay. One thing I did like more than rookie of the year was uh, I liked about a little big league better was I was really impressed with the gameplay. I thought that the baseball scenes looked realistic. Unlike most of these types of films, and mm-hmm. I think it also helped that they got real ball players. So, what, what did you? How did you feel about that? Watching the gameplay and then also seeing the the actual major leaguers of the era. Oh yeah, I that was the one. The, probably the A plus for me on this movie was the, the realism of the baseball. And you know, and then I I've, I'm a nerd like you are, so I started mm-hmm. you know digging into IMDb and looking yep. through all this stuff. And and like yeah, like a lot of the guys you know that were actors were former former players and then you know they even got kevin elston who was an active player at the time to be that's in the right movie. so um yeah and like yeah the scenes are shot beautifully like it it looks like real baseball you know and i'll, I'll give it the nod over rookie of the year in that respect i mean mm-hmm. the players in this certainly looked more realistic than gary Busey trying to look like <laughs> a pitcher exactly now, okay, so we get into the plot a little bit. Let's say you were given a team, you you were the owner of a team. Would you have been hands on, you know, like kind of a George Steinbrenner type, or would you have been more in the background and let the, you know, the quote unquote baseball people uh, take care of the uh, the day to day stuff? Well, you're talking to the guy who couldn't get enough of doing a podcast and then started his own convention <laughs> for it. So, what do you think? <laughs> okay, George. Well, yeah, that was yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> what did you like most about the 
film? Would you have, was there anything you would have changed? Um, was there anything you would have tweaked? Did it seem too tropey for you? So what, what were some of your thoughts, especially after rewatching it just well, today? Yeah, I guess, you know, on the, on the pro side, the stuff I liked, the gameplay was really good. I thought, you know, and I thought for the most part, the players, the actors that were the players were did a good job. I mean, um, you know, some of the stuff was a little cokey and in, in parts, you know, it was a little strange to see Jonathan Silverman in such a bit part <laughs> compared because yeah. he was a, he was kind of a starring guy before this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of faded away real fast after this movie, which was kind of weird. Um, but I, I, you know, I like that. The, the one thing I would have changed, I wasn't. I'm not a big fan of the kid that was the star of the movie. I didn't think he was that mm-hmm. great of an actor myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have changed that. Probably gotten a different one. And then, uh, you know, and you know, Tim- Timothy Buzzfeld is Busfield is uh, the kind of the big star player on this team. And I thought that was funny because uh, you know everybody remembers him as basically the asshole brother-in-law in Field of That's Dreams. That's right, exactly. And, and it's probably like. I get to be one of the players and I have to be a nice guy in this one. You know? <laughs> and he gets the girl and all that. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but like he's doing the Gary Busey part from rookie of the year. It's yeah, it, it's almost the exact. And then with the, the mom who falls in love with the player, I was like, I'm watching like, God, this is just <laughs> so similar to rookie of the year. It's insane. But, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, it was a little less cringeworthy for the most part than rookie of the year was to me. I thought rookie of the year was very hokey. Yeah, I think this is one that holds up better, especially with age. And and then again, as a baseball nerd, it's really fun seeing the the personalities. Um, I would say that uh, I, here's the thing about sports movies. I'd love to get your take on it. Uh, there's always that trope of the one big game and almost every sports movie or boxing movie would they have a big fight, big game, whatever. How do you feel about that? And and uh do you think sports movies should avoid things like that, you know, kind of like Bull Durham? Um, or do you absolutely need a big game for that satisfying payoff? I can see it both ways. I mean, I it makes sense why you have it, because you, you got to have climax in the movie. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you, you want to have that crowd pleasing moment. I did like the, you know, spoiler alert. I, yeah. I did like the the ending of this where they didn't win the big game. You know, mm-hmm. I it was a little bit more realistic that way. But, you know, in thinking offhand, um Another baseball movie I love that I'm sure you've probably seen is The Rookie with Dennis Quaid. Yes, absolutely. That doesn't really have a big game. It just has him getting a chance to get into a game. So it does right. that one. That one. I thought they'd handled that one well, although that's a real story. Sure. But but um, no, I don't think you'd really have to have it. One thing I will before I forget one thing, you know, obviously I loved all the player cameos that took me back to high school seeing. Sure. You know, Sandy Alomar Jr., Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, Johnson yep. Carlos Baerga. I mean, they they, they oh, had yeah. a, a ton of players in this, and um, but also a lot of the a lot of the facts that the kid and his grandfather would spit back and forth with each other. Yes. I thought, I as a baseball fan, I really appreciated that. As like it, they didn't dumb it down for the average person. There's enough for real baseball fans to kind of sink their teeth into. And that's a great point because I love when. Um, the kid, when when Billy's trying to prove himself to be manager, he's kind of going through Mac, the pitching coach, like scenarios yeah. of like, how would you do that? I thought that was brilliant because most casual fans wouldn't really they don't think about the little things like that. Yeah. Well, and I, and I used to play myself and I, I'm listening to him go through the scenarios and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And like, it's all very sound baseball knowledge that they were putting out there. Right. Uh, what were some of your favorite characters in the film? Uh I thought Timothy Busfeld was really good at it. Actually, I, I, you know, and 
you know, he's not like one of my favorite actors. Obviously, you have to love him in Revenge of the Nerds, but uh, sure. <laughs> um, but you know, it that's a tough role for him because he's, I mean, other than the kid, he's kind of the leading man of the movie. I thought he did sure. fine with it. Um, let me think. Favorite characters? Uh, well, the the picture with the Al Hal Roboski mustache. I can't remember what they called him in the movie now, but um, the big. It was dude. a real. He was a real ball player back in the early '80s for the Reds. Yeah, I saw that in this oral history. They were even show a, a YouTube clip. He was, uh, he would do that whole celebration thing after striking people out. And there's a YouTube clip of Nolan Ryan striking somebody out in a game against his team, the Reds. Right. And mm-hmm. Nolan Ryan looking over at the dugout and doing the same thing to him. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan Ryan was a badass. I mean, that that dude feared no one. No, but I I, I like that. I thought. Um, was it the one that was the, I guess he was the center fielder. I can't remember the character's name. I'm terrible with names, but, oh, that's okay. um, but he was the one that was really goofy with, when he, he did the rally thing. Like, I can throw strikes, you know, oh, I thought, right. Yep. I thought that guy was really good. The mom was okay. Uh, I thought the love story part was almost unnecessary in this really. It, um, it was forced. Yep. And I, I almost think the love story thing worked better with Busey and rookie of the year. I don't know why, maybe because he's more of a leading man, but mm-hmm. This one, I, it was just kind of like an afterthought. I didn't, I didn't get much into the whole story of, about the kid and his friends and oh, you stood up your friends and all. I, I was like, eh. yeah, I get you need it to have something else to pr- try to please everybody. But for me, I'm like, get back to the baseball stuff, you know? Yeah, and then and that conflict of that trope where well, success is going to his head. He's too big for his friends now. That was all kind of predictable. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, Jason Robards. I mean. Obviously, he had to die for this to move the plot along. But yeah. Jason Robarts is such a great actor. It was almost like a, I wouldn't say a wasted role, but you think you know you almost wanted more with him. Well, yeah, because when I started watching, I'm like, oh, Jason Robarts, awesome. And then yeah. like, five minutes later, he's dead. I'm like, he's oh, gone. damn. No, <laughs> <laughs> that is probably the best scene in the film where he with the videotape will. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And you know, and I love him. Have you ever seen an old Matthew Broderick movie with him called Max Dugan Returns? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love he's great in that movie, too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, he's a great actor. And like, I remember being like the nerd in my group of metalhead friends. But the one video came out. And, oh, of course. You know, he's in the Johnny Got His Gun movie. That's, and right. We're, we're watching. I'm like, hey, that's Jason Robards. They're like, who? Yeah. Like, well, that, and he was also in Parenthood, you know. He was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which we a great role for him, too. All right. We're going to have some fun with this. I'm going to do some 1994 baseball trivia to see how. Uh, how are you going to do? So obviously there was a strike The the season never officially ended. Um, so there was no world series in 1994. So there was a work stoppage on August 12th, but I'm going to get, I'm going to ask you some questions to see your knowledge of at least that season up to that point. Uh, so are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Who had the best record, uh, up until that point in 1994? What team? I think it was the Montreal Expos, wasn't it? You're absolutely right. They were beating, they were, I think, five or six games ahead of your Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I remember they were really good at that time. So I wish, uh, hopefully they'll get a team back one of these days. Well, uh, the rumor is that they're going to split, Tampa Bay is going to split half their time in Montreal. So that'll be interesting. Well, Tampa Bay just needs to give up that team and let them go back home. (laughs) Absolutely. And and it's, it's always amused me that so many teams over the years have been, they were, there was rumored to go to Florida. I think it was such a hot market, not realizing that they, they can barely keep one team, let alone two. So, yeah. Who was the leading home run leader, uh, in 1994? 94. See, the Expos one was the one I knew right off the top of my head. This one. That's right. (laughs) Uh, It'll have to just be a get Albert Bell, maybe. 
That's a good guess. Um, it was Matt Williams with 43. He was actually on pace yeah. to, to break Maris's record at the time. And then second place was it was Ken Griffey Jr. with 40. Yeah, well, why did I think of Ken Griffey Jr.? Um, who was the leading bag- batting average player? 94, Tony Gwynn. Good, great, great pick. Yeah, he was he was on. It could have been a really great season. He was hitting 394 in August 12. So he had a, ch- he had a chance to hit 400. Wow. Who had the most wins as a pitcher? Oh, wow. I want to say Randy Johnson, but I feel like that's a trick question. I, um, I will give you a hint that it is it is a lefty, if that helps. I'm terrible with that. Uh, Dennis Martinez? That's a great guess. But no, it, it was uh, Jimmy Key. Uh, oh. He had 17 wins for the Yankees at the time. You know, we, we've drafted kids right out of high school. We had this one kid. You would not believe the scouting reports. Raves up and down. Can't miss. Once again, the Indians appear to be the team to beat. Emotionally, though, he just wasn't prepared. Jimmy Key is attempting Jimmy to come Key, back. Jimmy Key, what's he like, 45? I could hit him. I mean, it's a different game in here. Jack, do you watch, do you watch the game? I mean, didn't, didn't it suck? It sucked. It is with much regret that I announced that I am leaving SportsCenter. Bottom line, he, he just came out too soon. And then who was the leading? You should get this one. Who was uh, who had the best ERA in the majors that year? I have to imagine Greg Maddox. Absolutely. He had a 1.56 ERA, which is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, it's it, of all seasons to have a strike, you know, oh, there was a lot of cool stuff going on that year. Yeah, you could have the home run record broken, batting average for 400 possibly, and then the Expos had a shot to, to actually, you know, make playoffs and, and go to the world series yeah very unfortunate so uh, again we can compare those those movies i had mentioned before between the sandlot rookie of the year angels in the outfield little big league uh how would you rank those well you gotta you? go i have to go with sandlot first that movie's mm-hmm. just magical so sandlot so after sandlot i've got what rookie of the year this one angels in the outfield yep i can't really even vote for angels in the outfield i don't know that i've ever watched it have you seen the original uh from I, the 50s I haven't seen that one either. Okay. So I, so I guess I don't even want to count that. I, but I would, I guess, you know, it's funny. In the first 15, 20 minutes of watching this today, I was just like, this sucks. This is not good. <laughs> I'll be, I'm just being honest. No, absolutely. That's what I want. And then the more it picked up and the more I got into why, I was like, this actually isn't bad. And then I started doing my research and reading on it. And I'm like, damn, this actually is really good. So I had my mind change in like the course of an hour. I would put this ahead of Rookie of the Year, no, you know, at this point. Do you, do you think the movie was too long? Because it is basically two hours long, and, yeah. uh, and it, it's a slow burn. Yeah, you you could have cut out some of the him and his friend stuff and some of the love story stuff and had it at a, like a tight 90 minutes. Right, right. Yeah, but the baseball stuff, I no, I, I was all about all that. I, I thought it was all great. Well, thank you for doing this, Chris. I'm going to try to get you on for stuff that isn't just baseball. Of course, if you go back, we, uh, Chris and I talked about the original Bad News Bears, which was a lot of fun that came out about a year ago. So go back in the archives and check that out. And uh, and again, thank you so much, Chris. Definitely check out the Decibel Geek podcast if you haven't already. Uh, even if you're not a huge fan of music, you're just going to enjoy you know the, the banter between Chris and Aaron. They're absolutely terrific. They were a definite inspiration to me. Uh, to start my own podcast so i'm forever grateful to chris's kindness just uh outside of the podcasting world just a super nice guy and uh and again if you're in the nashville area uh later in 2022 definitely come to the rock and pod convention it is such a blast so thank you again chris oh thanks you i appreciate it brian come hang out and chill with brian davis and the bad beat 
Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.